chapter 5. So good to see all of you here at church this evening. And uh, we're praying for a good service tonight. First Thessalonians 5. And we're kind of on a, a, a one topic with various subtopics we're praying that God will use to help us tonight. First Thessalonians chapter 5. While we're doing that, we need about 10 to 15 men. And if you can help us, if you remember just a couple of weeks ago, we had to move those picnic benches from uh, against the side where the chapel is over to the back side of the Aldo Auditorium. We need to move them back. So if I can get about 10 or 15 guys that want to pop some muscles and to flex your biceps and get a little stronger today, then you guys can help us. Then all the guys are turning their heads and looking around. And I just saw one husband looking at his wife when I said that. Amen. You know, so guys, can I help us with that? We need about 10 to 15 guys to help us with that. We'll remind you again later on. It'll be very embarrassing if 10 to 15 ladies go over there and move those benches, guys. So you guys help me with that, all right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Verse 16. Rejoice evermore. Amen? Amen. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Notice verse 19. Quench not the Spirit. And we're going to look at a series of messages that deal with the uh, what we can do in our lives, our Christian lives, what God needs to help do in our lives so that we do not quench the Spirit. So we're going to kind of lead into that tonight. And the subject we're going to look at is found in verse 16 in your notes. Rejoice evermore. Father, give us a spirit of rejoicing. We thank you. The moment we got saved, the joy of your Son, Jesus Christ, came into our lives. Now help us this evening. Jesus said, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be full. The psalmist said that at thy right hand there is fullness of joy. And so, Lord, there is a, there is a, a description you give in your word of how all of us can have the overflowing of the joy of Christ in our life. And you help us tonight. Sometimes uh, people or circumstances, trials and difficulties, and maybe things that are said to us or things that happen can uh, cause a lot of damage in our lives and cause us to lose that joy. And we're just praying tonight that you'll help us to have the peace of God, but more importantly, the joy of Christ abounding in our lives. We pray for this now, Lord, of you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The book of First Thessalonians, as you know, is a book that's on the theme of the church that is triumphant. And, of course, the church of Thessalonica, we believe in many ways, was a triumphant church. Uh, that's what we want for our church at Heritage Baptist Church. We want for every independent Baptist church like ours. We want our churches to be triumphant. We want our churches going forward. We want our churches victorious. And, of course, victorious churches and triumphant churches are made up of Christian people that are triumphant and victorious as well. And this fifth chapter... Paul is very practical. Now, I don't know about you. I, I'm a practical person. I like practical things. Amen. I like to get right down to the nuts and bolts. I like to know how it works. And I, I don't want to read through 30 pages of a manual. I want to get that quick sheet, the cheat sheet. I know how to get it done and get it done well. Amen. And so this fifth chapter, Paul kind of gives us the cheat sheet there, right? And he gives us instruction on how each member of a local church must work on his walk in the Spirit. Now, all of us need to focus on the fact the walking of the Spirit is not just an elite group of Christians. The walking of the Spirit is required for every one of us. You're saved. You need to walk in the Spirit. Amen? And so we need to concentrate on that. So Paul gives instructions. First of all, we saw in verses 12 and 13, he gave instructions on how pastors and the congregation must cooperate and work with each other so they can walk in the Spirit. And then we saw in verses 14 and 15, he gave a category last time we were in this about several groups of people. He talks about, notice verse 14, those who are unruly. And he talks about the feeble-minded. He must have thought about me. Amen? He talks about the weak. He talks about being patient towards all men. Others people that kind of test your patience there. Amen? And he talks about those who do evil. And he says, you know what? We got we to talk about the fact that uh, we, need to, we need to work with those in the church. Not just a pastor, but all of us in the church need to work together for those who have challenges in their faith and their walk with God and uh, who get discouraged, who get weak, who've got strongholds in their life and working together so that they can be spiritually healthy. Now notice Galatians 5 verses 16 to 18. Paul very simply in, in the book of Galatians speaks to us about this walk in the Spirit that all of us are familiar with. He said in chapter Galatians 5 16, this I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of flesh. Walking in the Spirit takes work. Walking in the Spirit means time in prayer. Walking in the Spirit means that we've got to just see the mirror of our, we have to let the Word of God be a mirror and reflecting to us what we need to change. We need to work at this because if we're not walking in the Spirit, then we're fighting with the flesh and the flesh is fighting with the Spirit. He said in verse 17, for the flesh lusteth against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. There's a war going on, all right? You know that war that's going on. That, that war that happens with other people is because your 
flesh and your spirit are fighting one another there. And so he says, these two are contrary one to another so that you cannot do the things that you would. Our, our battle is our flesh. We have to realize our flesh is not our friend. Our flesh is our enemy. The Bible says, my, my beloved, dearly beloved, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And so we realize that in order to overcome the flesh, we must walk in the spirit. So notice Paul says in Galatians 5.18, but if you be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, that's our starting point. As we look at the verses we're going to study down, primarily 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoicing evermore is part of the walk of the Spirit. We must be in this mode where the Spirit is, where we're walking. But verse 19 tells us that it's possible that as a Christian that we can put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. He says, quench not the Spirit. How many understand tonight that when God works in our hearts, and this is what I love about being a, part, being a Baptist, when God works in our heart, God wants to put a fire in our life. Amen? And God wants a raging fire. He doesn't want a match fire in our hearts. He wants a raging fire. Can I hear an amen about it? Amen? God wants to be on fire. I mean, some of you newlyweds who are, new, uh, you're just newlywed and there's a fire going in your life. There's a smile in your heart. I look at you and you see a twinkle in your eyes. I just saw some newlyweds kind of look at each other. There's a fire about them. But you know, if you don't keep that fire going, it starts to dole out over a period of time. You've got to keep the fire going. You've got to work at this thing. And the Bible says where there's no wood, the fire goes out. You've got to keep putting wood on it. Amen? So you notice here in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Paul says, quench not the Spirit. Now that's a command. We are to work in making sure that the fire in our lives, that fire the Holy Spirit ignites, doesn't go out. Now go with me to Matthew 25.8. And notice in Matthew 25 eight, Jesus uses a phrase here that helps us to understand what the word quench means. In Matthew 25, 8, Jesus said this. He's giving a parable here. He says, and the foolish said unto the wise, give us of your oil. Notice there's a colon there. For our lamps are gone out. And that phrase, our lamps are gone out, is the same with, is, is, the, is one word that describes the quenching of the Spirit. When the Spirit is quenched, the fire has gone out. It's been extinguished. The lamp has gone out. There's no more oil. There's no more wick. There's no more flame. They said, give us of your oil for our lamps are gone out. It's a bad thing in our Christian life when the fire in our heart is put out. And one of the things God wants us to do is focus on those necessities that help the fire to keep going, okay? Now, notice something else here. Healthy churches are made up of healthy spiritual lives. Healthy churches are made up of people who recognize and are sensitive to the fact that the fire of God needs to work in our life. And so over these next few weeks, we're going to take each of these phrases, each of these verses that kind of circle around verse 19 to look at those necessities of keeping the fire of God going in our life. And we're going to look at best practices, best practices that help us in this matter of keeping the fire, of fire going or the, so the Spirit is not quenched. And the first of these is found in verse 16, rejoice evermore. Let's look at some things about that. Notice these practices. Number one, notice the standard for rejoicing. The standard for rejoicing. He said rejoice evermore. Now the word rejoice is closely connected or synonymous with the word joy. Where you find rejoicing, you're going to find joy. They all go together. Same word there. The word rejoice in the New Testament, we find it 42 times in, 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 the, in the New Testament. It's found predominantly in the word rejoice itself. It's found in the words be glad. It's found in the word uh, words joy and greeting and so forth like that. And so the word rejoice we're finding many, many times. Interesting enough, in the book of 2 John, he uses the phrase God speed and uh, what he that's the same word for rejoice he's saying that when a cult comes to your door and knocks on it don't bid them godspeed don't bid them don't say well joy to you and peace of god with you. you're not supposed to greet them like that you're to let them know that they're not wanted and that they have a false doctrine can you name amen all right okay uh the word rejoice was a greeting okay sometimes in some cultures when they greet one another they say peace to each other there and so that's the same thing they give a greeting they say rejoice in the lord uh it's a word that speaks about being being well and thriving the word evermore means always at all times. So when you say rejoice evermore, it means rejoice always. Rejoicing evermore is the standard of the Christian life. It is not something that happens occasionally. It's something that should happen all the time. We must work on our rejoicing. So as we do a test of our hearts this morning, this evening, we have to ask this question. Is rejoicing a norm in our life? Do you rejoice? Do you rejoice evermore? Did you rejoice today when your car broke down? Did you rejoice when something, something didn't happen that didn't go according to the script? Amen? You know, did you rejoice about those? I mean, I mean, we just have to face the reality. There are things that go on, especially living in the Bay Area, that can affect our rejoicing. So notice in Romans 14, 17, we have a very interesting uh, a statement here of doctrine that, that, that God gives us. Apostle Paul wrote down. 
Romans 14, 17, Paul said this, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, is not eating and drinking. He said, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now that's the kingdom of God. And by the way, in Luke, we're told the kingdom of God is within you. So the kingdom of God is in righteousness and in peace and the joy of the Holy Ghost. A lot of our struggles is because we're not, we haven't determined what kingdom we're part of. If you're saved, you're part of the kingdom of God. Amen. So we have to rejoice in that tonight. So where do, how do you, what's this, how do you find the standard of rejoicing? Well, number one, notice that standard is found in, re, in salvation. Rejoicing is Christ's gift to us when we're going to save. How many are glad you're saved tonight? How many, how many are so glad you're saved you wouldn't trade it for anything else? Amen? Amen. And you can't trade it for anything else, right? Because it's the gift of God. So the standard in salvation is rejoicing. Would you notice some things tonight? In Luke 19, 6, when Zacchaeus got saved, he received Jesus Christ joyfully. Look what it says. And he made haste, and he came down and received him joyfully. Yeah, I love when somebody gets saved and they're rejoicing in Christ. I think about, I have many salvation uh, opportunities I've had, I've seen, but I still remember one of our ladies that several years ago who came to our church who's reached through so many, doesn't even live, maybe less than a five-minute drive from here, if, if maybe a little bit longer just because of signals. And I remember the first time they came, and I, I kind of caught the person's side of my eye, and they were coming down, the people were lining up, and back in the old auditorium, and I was shaking hands, and I thought, I wonder why this person is waiting so long to shake my hand. And I said, I probably said something that offended them, so I was bracing myself to get, you know, reprimanded and corrected or something like that there, because, you know, for new people to do the church visits, stay for a long time, wait a long time to talk to you, either, either they're, they're going to tell you they're going to join the church, or they're going to tell you they don't like the church. So I said, I braced myself for the worst of that. And lady came up to me, and she said, Pastor Fogg, she just wanted to know, you know, you were preaching the Word of God, and she said, I've been in church 30 years, and said, you were going verse by verse as you're explaining. I've never heard that before, and I've been in church 30 years. And I said, ma'am, I said, what's your name? She told me your name, and I said, well, you know, we call that expository preaching. We just kind of preach word by word, verse by verse, and telling you, working the scriptures. My wife and I went by later in the week to see her and found out that this person had been battling with a very serious disease problem, had just gotten past that. And I asked the question as we kind of used that to weave into the gospel. I said, ma'am, I said, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? And this is not, this is, this is the truth. Tears started coming down that lady's eye. I mean, her face was just flushed with tears and trembling. And as I asked the question, she said, that's the problem, pastor. She says, I've been in church 30 years. I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven. I thought, my stars, how could you be in church 30 years? What kind of church is that? You don't even know the gospel. And what kind of church is that, that they'd even not help you know your assurance of salvation? And so went through the gospel. She says, I never, never, I don't recall I've ever done that. And I'm thankful that day she received Jesus Christ, her Savior. She's one of our thriving members of our church. But the joy of the Lord was in that person's life. Even today, if you meet that person, the joy of the Lord is in her life. Salvation is what happened to Zacchaeus. He had joy. Notice John 15, 11. Jesus said this, These things have I spoken to you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Hey, listen, the Word of God should fill us with joy. Amen? That's kind of like pulling up to the Costco gas tank, uh, gas pump. Amen? You have to put your card in, you take the pump out, you start pumping gas, and you fill it right back up. Jesus said, My joy is in you, and I want my joy to remain in you. Now, it's God's will that you have joy. Amen? It's God's will that you're rejoicing. It's God's will that you have it on your, on your life all the time. Look at Acts 8.39, the, the Ethiopian eunuch. It says, when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more. That's how a lot of people feel. When they don't see something no more, they rejoice. Amen? Well, he says here, the eunuch saw him no more, but he went away rejoicing. Now, you know what? He wasn't rejoicing because Philip went away. He's rejoicing he got saved. He's rejoicing that God led this man all the way down to the desert of Gaza so he could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, now, in salvation, rejoicing is the norm. Our sins are forgiven. Heaven is our home. We are sons of God. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is coming again. Salvation is the norm. Amen? That's rejoicing in salvation. Notice, secondly, notice another thing as we look at the standard rejoicing. The standard rejoicing is found in the fact that rejoicing is our source of strength. Now tonight, as we consider a lot of things that we must be strong in, remember the words of the Apostle Paul, remember the words of God to Moses, uh, to Joshua, he said, be strong in the Lord. Now we've read that many times, but the source of our strength is found in our rejoicing. Notice Nehemiah 8.10. In Nehemiah 8.10, the Bible says, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet. 
and send portions unto them for whom nothing's prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord, neither be ye sorry. And they were just, you know, they were sad. They were weeping because, oh, it had been so long since they had a public meeting like that. And somebody opened the word of God and, and preached to them. Of course, you know that they had a wooden pulpit there. And Ezra got up and, and Ezra just read the word of God to them. And they had just several days of just God working their lives. And he said this in verse 10, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, notice this. He didn't say physical strength was your, was, was, uh, the physical was your source of strength or the inner was the source of your strength. He said the joy of the Lord is your strength. Listen, we're going to find sustainable joy in our life, when, uh, sustainability for joy when the joy of the Lord is our strength. We must realize tonight that our strength comes from the joy of the Lord. The Bible says a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. We must realize tonight that the rejoicing is this norm of the Christian life. And then notice if you would, letter C, that soul winning is part of that standard. Now, if you're not soul winning, if you're at least trying to get a track out, you're trying to invite people to a special occasion at church, you're reaching out to people, praise God for that. And I want to encourage you to keep doing that. But we must realize that we must keep soul winning, reaching souls, uh, reaching lives at the forefront of what we do. Notice Psalms 126 verse 6. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with what? rejoicing, bringing his cheese with him. Souls get saved. Hey, I'm going to, I don't know about you, but I'm going to rejoice when we get back reports. Uh, I'm praying we'll get back reports about all those New Testaments who were assembled, and I'm praying that it's going to get into that restricted access country, and not only that, but we get reports of people have received that and people getting saved. That's going to be a wonderful thing. Some of you just got in. We just got a good report that was read about our missionary over, overseas in a restricted country, Brother Ted Mung, and uh, Ted's been working hard with his wife and trying to get people in the church, and uh, actually an update since the letter uh, this past Sunday they had, a, they had a couple more people come. So I think they got five or six people now in the church. Amen, you know. And that they're just kind of working their way through that. And, and God's helping them meet some people. And they're faithful in track passing. And they're doing it with discretion. So they're, they're kind of off the radar screen. And uh, so they don't get caught and, and things like that. But they're trying to do what they can. But what a, re- what a wonderful thing to rejoice that as they're, they're getting the gospel and leading people to Christ. And finding out about people that they went to school with that are moved back to their city. I mean, you're trying to reach them there. Notice Luke chapter 15. The Bible says this. Jesus was giving a parable. It's the parable of the lost sheep. He said in verse 4, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if you lose one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? That's kind of interesting. Here's the shepherd taking the sheep out the sheepfold. He has a hundred of them out there in the wilderness. Ninety-nine are flocked together. They have, they're the ones that get common sense. There's the one that wandered away, didn't have a lot of sense. Amen? It wandered away. What did the shepherd do? He said, well, leave it alone. No. The shepherd went after the one that was lost. He said, you know what? I've got to find that sheep. And the Bible says in verse 5, And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulder, rejoicing. Well, he's, yeah, that sheep knows it's been lost, it's been tired. He picks it up and puts it on his shoulder. And he says in verse 6, And when he cometh home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. Now there's two things. Number one, thank God the shepherd was rejoicing. Amen? But listen, the shepherd wasn't content just having the joy in his heart. He wanted everyone else to share in that joy. Amen? Hey, as a church, we ought to rejoice every time somebody gets saved. Amen? We ought to rejoice every time we hear that somebody hears the gospel and somebody gets saved. We ought to rejoice about that. Now I think about Philippians chapter 1. And Paul was in prison, and he got reports that there were some that were preaching Christ and doing it right, and uh, people were getting saved. And then there were these others who were preaching of Christ contentiously. I mean, they were just, they had a bad attitude about it. And you know, there was fighting among the believers, and I'll talk about it in a minute here. There was fighting of the church at Philippi because there were two different philosophies of thought in the church as far as how to preach Jesus Christ. You know what Paul said? Hey, I just rejoice in the fact Christ is preached and people are getting saved. Amen? And we need to have this attitude that, you know what, sometimes if someone might get, actually get saved and in a, in a denomination or somewhere else. We just need to rejoice somebody got saved, amen? Because the power of the gospel is bigger than you and me. And the word of God is bigger than you and me. And the Holy Spirit doesn't need you and me. We just get the privilege of being along the way so the Holy Spirit can work those. So you know what our attitude should be? It's a standard for rejoicing. We ought to rejoice in someone. We ought to rejoice that the word of God gets preached. We got to rejoice when people trust Jesus Christ as their Savior there. So thank God for that. Philippians 1.18, Paul said this. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. So we see the standard for rejoicing. Rejoicing is found in salvation. It's found in soul winning. It's found here. It was found here in the preaching of God's word. It's found in our. It's a source of our strength. But notice the standard for rejoicing is found in the spirit life. Now listen, you're not going to find the joy of the Lord reading a book full filled with jokes. 
And you're not going to find it reading Christian jokes. And you're not going to find it hanging around people that seem to be jovial all the time. You've got to have, a, you've got to be walking in the Spirit in order to have the joy of the Lord. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Notice number two, joy. Now we have to do a test in our lives and we have to be honest with ourselves. There are nine fruit of the Spirit. All of them, all of them should be present and working if we're walking in the Spirit. If we're not walking completely in the Spirit, we're going to, this can be evidence very quickly here that these fruit of the Spirit is not there. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. By the way, the words long-suffering and gentleness are, are very difficult. They're very difficult virtues or fruit of the Spirit for Christians to live through. And he says, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, he says, there is no law. In other words, no, no one's going to be accused of any sin or accused of something wrong when this fruit of the Spirit is abounding. Now, I want to encourage you tonight, even though the message tonight is about rejoicing, I do want to encourage you tonight, we need to be walking the Spirit. That fruit of the Spirit must be evident in our life. We must have such a walk on the Spirit, such a focus on that walk, that this fruit of the Spirit is being produced continuously in our life. I like what R.A. Torrey said. R.A. Torrey was the associate to Dwight L. Moody for many, many years. Uh, R.A. Torrey really was the prayer, the prayer power behind D.L. Moody. And he said this, he says, There's more joy in Jesus in 24 hours than there is in the world in 365 days. He said, I've tried them both. That's a great thought. There's more joy in Jesus in 24 hours than there is in the world in 365 days. So we see the standard for rejoicing. Number two, would you write this down? Notice the steps to rejoicing. Now some of you are new to the faith. Some of you are having a restart. Some of you are just trying to, you're just kind of getting your way through. We need to see the steps for rejoicing tonight. And we want to see how did Paul arrive at just two words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that will help us to walk in the Spirit. He says rejoice evermore. So how, what are those steps? How do we keep the joy of the Lord sustainable? How do we keep the joy of Jesus Christ in our life? Well, I want you to go with me to Psalms 51 for a minute. And the first thing I want you to notice this evening that we need to apply is in the area of sanctification. Now the area of sanctification we're talking about are setting apart to the Lord. And there is sanctification. We're talking about our holiness. And by the way, let me just say this tonight. Holiness is a norm for the Christian life. Okay? It is not an option. It's, it's a mandate. Be holy even as I am holy, the Bible says. Holiness should not be something we run from. Holiness should be something that we're not afraid of. Uh, just because the old Puritans who happened to be Calvinists God, were into that. I, I'll tell you, those, 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 those old Puritans had something to say about holiness there. They really lived for God there, okay? And so I want us to think about the fact that holiness should be the norm of our life. I think as young people and adults living here in the 21st century, look at just how closely the, the world, that people, things are going to the world. You know, we need to find ourselves moving away from the world, moving ourselves closer to Jesus Christ here. So notice what the, what the writer David said in Psalms 51, because as we deal with Psalms 51, it's his confession. It's the acknowledgement of his sin against Bathsheba, his murder of, of, of her husband, and all the things he did, his lying and, and his misdeeds there. And he said this beginning in verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Notice he said in verse 8, because he longed for this. For over a year, David was a miserable man. I, mean, I don't know about you, but man, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I have a sin I know about my life, man. If I don't get that right with God, I'm a miserable person. I mean, I just, I can't live with myself. I've got to get it right with God. And J. David had been living with this unconfessed sin. He thought he could hide it from everybody. He wasn't hidden for over a year. And he said this, make me, now when he says make me, he says, Lord, I need you to break me. Is what he's saying. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Why? Because he, 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 he couldn't hear joy and gladness anymore. He didn't, he didn't enjoy hearing the birds sing. He didn't enjoy the sun rising up in the morning. He couldn't, he couldn't have a smile on his face. He lost the joy that he had. He says, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. He said, man, I'm broken inside, Lord. I need to get that rejoicing back in. He said, the pain is still there. He said, the pain is there. The wounds are very deep. He says, I know what I've done. And he had to live with on his conscience. By the way, when there's heinous sins in our lives, we have to live in our conscience with the fact that in his case, that he took another man's wife. And he tried to hide it. And he put her, set her husband up where he died on the, on the field. And that happened to be one of his mighty men. I mean, you talk about the ultimate treachery. And you think about the fact he wrote a letter and he lied. And Joab knew about it. And Nathan the prophet knew about it. And his servants knew about it. I mean, these people knew about it. But no one's going to confront the king. And by the way, the sins he committed, if you read the book of Leviticus, he should have been stoned to death. Amen? 
He's been stoned many times over for what he did because of those heinous sins he did. And David, David couldn't live with himself because he was a very miserable man. I and mean, he was very sad for all that period of time there. And uh, he was sad in his heart. And he, and he said, man, the wounds are deep. And I feel like I'm broken on the inside. I mean, he literally describes his brokenness as if his actual bones are broken. He says, Lord, I need to hear the joy and rejoicing once again. Notice verse 12. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. He said, Lord, I want that joy right back. I want that hop and that skip. And I want that, I want that laugh once again. And I, want, and I don't know about you, but man, maybe God's speaking to you about something in your heart that's unconfessed. And you ought to feel miserable tonight. I hate to say that tonight, but you ought to feel miserable tonight. Because why? You want to get back the joy of your salvation. You want to get back that first love. Amen? You want that joy to permeate your heart. You want to have that hop and that skip and that joy like the lame man did when Peter reached out his hand. And the Bible says immediately, that man didn't walk. That man leaped up and jumped up for joy because Jesus was in his life. Hey, listen, that's salvation joy. But when we lose it, we need to get it back. Sin quenches the spirit. So we notice that the steps... To joy and rejoicing begins with sanctification. Is there something you need to confess to God tonight? Would you model the prayer of David? Do you feel like you need to model that prayer? Lord, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Make me to hear joy and gladness once again. Hey, listen, if you're losing, if you're losing interest in preaching, you're losing interest in the things of God, if you're losing interest in the things you used to rejoice in, we need to pray that prayer and say, Lord, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which I was broken may rejoice once again there. Sin quenches the spirit. Sin depletes us of joy. Uh, confession, forsaking sin are the only remedies for restoration. And then notice in 1 Corinthians 13, 6, would you notice there? Here's another thought I want to give you. 1, 1 Corinthians 13, 6. He speaks about charity or agape love. He says, the love that God wants us to have in our hearts for other people. He says, it rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Do you rejoice in the truth? Amen? You rejoice in the truth, you're going to be, you're going to have an amen time. You can get your handkerchief out and wave it around and say, praise God, we heard the truth today. Amen? Rejoice not in sin, but in truth. Hey, listen, when there's failures on the outside and things that are not going right, we need to rejoice in the truth. Then notice secondly tonight, uh, the second step to uh, maintaining a spirit of rejoicing. Would you write this down? Step number two, seclusion. Seclusion. Now, seclusion means isolated time we set aside for fellowship with God in His Word and in prayer. Seclusion. Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 15, 16. Would you notice this? He was going through a time of suffering. He was hurting. If you read Jeremiah 15, and he was discouraged. By the way, we all get discouraged. The men that were here on Saturday, Pastor Delzal had been praying over this men's, men's meeting. He brought exactly the message our men needed to hear. There's so many of our men that have remarked, man, that was a very timely message. I need to write at that moment there. And listen to what, this is what Jeremiah said at a time of discouragement. Thy words were found. And I did eat them. Now here's what the typical Christian does. You know you're supposed to read your Bible when you're discouraged. You found it, but you didn't eat it. Now eating it means you've got to spend time at it. You've got to chew it and chew it and swallow it and let it digest and let it get inside of you. You need to, need to let the Word of God get inside of you so it works inside you where you're noticing some, God, something is changing there. He says, thy words were found and I did eat them and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. How did Jeremiah get back the joy? How did he get sustainable joy? Through the Word of God. He ate the Word. He spent time in it through seclusion, okay? David said, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Then notice John 16, 24. We find it through prayer. Seclusion involves the word. Seclusion involves prayer. Now, that's a no-brainer, but the truth of the matter is, it's a discipline of the Christian life that we must exercise and we must spend time at. Hey, every now and then, you can have your regular routine devotion, but you're going to find out over time, there are going to be some days you just need to kind of just, you need to take a little bit extra more time and just say, you know, I need to shut everything else out. I need just another hour or two or whatever it may take. I just need a little more time for God to work on my life. I just feel like I'm losing it right now, and I need to get something back here. And this is what Jesus said. Hitherto you've asked nothing in my name. Isn't that amazing? In the three chapters there in that upper room, Jesus is talking about the privilege of asking in his name. And he said in verse 24, Hitherto, before all this, you've asked nothing in my name. Now notice this challenge he gives them. He says, Ask and you, and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Now, thank God he answers prayer. And thank God that sometimes God makes his way. But when he answers prayer, our joy is full. Amen? Because God, that means we're in sync with God. And when we're in sync with God, God is in the process of performing exactly what he said he would do. And so we notice here some thoughts I'm going to give you. 
We could trace any misery we have to an inactive and an unproductive prayer life. An inactive and unproductive prayer life, okay? No prayer, no joy. Little prayer, little joy. Much prayer, much joy. The context in John 16 is somebody in trouble. He says, he talked about having sorrow and being travailed. And he's saying, you're going to overcome that? You've got to spend some time in prayer there. So prayer is when we give our problem to God and let him solve it for us. So we see the steps involve seclusion and the steps involve sanctification. But notice the steps involve service. There's joy in serving Jesus. Amen? Amen. <coughs> Psalms, 100, uh, Psalms 100 tonight. Now, when we talk about service, I'm referring to the fact that service incorporates both our work and our worship of God. Now, the greatest thing you can do, one of the greatest things you can do in, in worshiping God is serving the Lord. That's why reading through uh, Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, we read about the priests and all they're involved, the meticulousness that God gave them uh, on the detail work of the, of the tabernacle, its construction, its workmen, all those things. And God lists the names there of these different people like Bezalel and people like that, of their involvement there and how, what they wore and how they dressed themselves appropriately for the work of God and how they went in and how the tabernacle service was around the clock. They were, they were lighting the candelabra and they were doing sacrifices around the clock and all the festivals and, and feasts and ceremonies. I mean, it was a busy place and all of that represented serving God but the worship of the Lord. And I want to say tonight that when we serve God, that, are, that, that it's, it's part of worship. And if you're not serving God, you're missing a vital component of worshiping the Lord. So notice what, what David said in Psalms 100. He said, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Hey, all of this is serving as we find in verse 2. Incorporates itself the worship of God. And then notice in Matthew 28. I, I, I love this. In Matthew 28 verse 9. And as they went to tell the disciples, Jesus had re been resurrected. Behold, Jesus met them, saying, and, and circle these two words, all hail. You see that? All hail means rejoice. The same word. He says rejoice. Rejoice is connected with worship. Jesus meets them. He says, all hail. And they came, and they held him by the feet, and they worshiped him. I love that passage when it speaks about the adoration, the, the, how they, they condescended themselves and brought themselves low and brought themselves to the feet of Jesus, and they worshiped our Lord. I don't know about you, but that's great worship. When you get to that sense of being so overwhelmed with the presence of God that you fall at his feet, and you go on him and say, man, I'm not going to let you go, Lord, because I, I just want to be with you. And then Ephesians 5.19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Hey, listen tonight, service is one of the vital steps to keeping the joy tank filled. You've got to have sanctification. Listen, you've got to have that. You've got to have seclusion. You've got to have service. But you notice this fourth thing, letter D. Sometimes there's suffering. Suffering is part of God's working in our life so that we have the joy tank filled, so we can have the joy tank replenished. Would you notice Psalms 30 verse 5? And the psalmist who wrote this, which was David, is going through a deep time, a very deep, sorrowful time. As you get the flavor of it, he's weeping, he's crying. How many of you have ever had a trial or brokenness in your life? You're just weeping, crying, amen, you know? And he says, for his anger endureth but, but for a moment, in his favor is life. Then he made this statement, weeping may endure for a night. Have you ever cried all night? Your pillow's all wet. Nobody knows it, you're just sobbing away, and then... The sun, right as the sun starts coming up around 5 o'clock in the morning, he says, joy cometh in the morning. What a wonderful thing, amen? Suffering is tailor designed for each of our lives. My suffering is different from your suffering. Your suffering is different than my suffering. And the trial God puts in your life, the hurt that he puts there, the wounds that we have to endure, the difficulty we have is God's way of just bringing everything back in alignment. You know, it's just like our cars. Our tires get out of alignment. You bump into something, you've got to realign your wheels so you don't wear out the tread too fast. But realigning it, you get good driving. You get more mileage out of your tires. And listen tonight, you're going to get more mileage out of your Christian life when you're aligning your life up with God. Amen? That suffering that comes about in our life, we must have times where God works us. Notice what he says in Romans 12, 12. Rejoicing in hope. You know, we're looking forward to getting out of that trial. 
We're anticipating something good happening. He says, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. That's tough. Continuing instant in prayer. 2 Corinthians 6.10, he says this, as sorrowful, notice this phrase, yet always rejoicing. That's the virtue of the Christian life. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. You know, when, you, when you're at that point when someone important in your life has been taken out and something inside of you has died, he says, we have to get to the place of realizing, especially servants of God, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. We may be sorrowful, we may be broken, we may be hurting, we may be grieving, we may be wounded, but we, yet we can still rejoice because the Lord's work in our life. And then 1 Peter 4.13, which you notice this. Peter, talking about suffering there in chapter 4 of 1 Peter, he says, but... Rejoice. Inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. You know what Paul, Peter was saying there? They, when he wrote 1 Peter, they were, he was writing under the circumstance that Jesus could come at any moment. And he's writing under the circumstance, we're going through great times of persecution. Nero's on the throne. Nero's taking some of our brethren, encasing them in wax and lighting up the streets of Rome with these bodies. He burned the city down and he blamed the Christians on it. He would take some of those Christians and he would take these, these animal hides and, and sew them up in these animal hides and send them out in the wilderness somewhere where, where voracious animals would attack them. He, man, he did some heinous, heinous things against these Christians. He says, it's tough. A lot of you have been uprooted from your normal life and you don't have a home. You're in churches where you're conflicting with the personalities because there's cultural distinctions and differences that you're clashing with one another and you're having some issues because every one of those churches that were learning how to deal with all the distinctions that were, they're, they're kind of merging together. The rich had to worship with the poor and the poor with the rich and, and the slaves with the owners. And it was just some difficult times they had because their thinking was different. Their cultures were different. They're, 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 they, had a, they had a lot of class, you know, those, those uh, different classifications of people there. And Peter said, you know what, you're all suffering, you're going through difficult times, but he said rejoice. And I want to tell you tonight, brothers and sisters in Christ, that, you know, suffering is God's design for us that we learn how to rejoice. If we can't rejoice through suffering, we're not going to rejoice very well when we're not suffering. Amen. Because if we're rejoicing only when we're not suffering, that's a superficial rejoicing. It's not a deeply rooted spiritual rejoicing there. So tonight, we see there's steps to rejoicing. But you notice number three, would you write this down? I want you to notice as we consider rejoicing evermore, I want you to notice the stifling to rejoicing. Now remember, the context of all this is, not, is quench not the Spirit. When our rejoicing is low, or worse, our rejoicing is absent, the Spirit is quenched. The fire is put out. It's like those, like those virgins said, our lamp is gone out. It's been extinguished. And let's be honest, it's easy for any of us as Christians to stumble and to lose our joy. I want you to go with me back to the book of uh, Philippians for just a minute. Go back a couple chapters here, a couple books. And I want you to notice as we look at the context of all four chapters of Philippians. We see a church where the joy was stifled. And the emphasis of the Apostle Paul was to get this church to get restored in its joy. He wanted them to rejoice evermore. And we start off here by realizing as we study the book of Philippians that the two key words in that book are joy and rejoicing. The believers in this church, was a, this was a soul winning church. It was a well-organized church. You look at verse 1, it was a well-organized church. I mean, this church had pastors. It had church members. It even had deacons. They were at a location. They were a local church. We know the personalities of the, of the three first recorded salvation decisions. I mean, and then we know later on as we read through Philippians, more people got saved. We just read about how, how all these things came together. But this church got the place where it's lost its joys. Now let's consider some of the things, okay? Number one, there was strife over the ministry of the gospel. They were fighting over the gospel. Hey, you know, believe it or not, it's interesting. Believers in churches fight about the gospel. They fight about how to deliver and how to get it. Here's, here's someone here who feels very strongly. Let's be confrontational. And someone else over on the other side, they don't feel as strong about being confrontational. So they're against it. So they're criticizing. They're being critical of the one who is being confrontational. They're saying, well, let's just find another way. And so that person, maybe just because of their personality, they feel like they're just not as confrontational. They're not sure it's effective. They've done, the, they've done the knocking on the doors. They've knocked on maybe 100, 200 doors. They feel like it doesn't work for them. And so they want to find something else to do. And they just don't have the patience for it or whatever it may be. Or maybe they too much rejection. It was too much for them. So they want to find a different way of doing it. So they read some other book that's out there. And by the way, let me caution you tonight. Be careful of the gospel coalition. 
Because the Gospel Coalition advocates basically lifestyle evangelism. It doesn't work. It's lifestyle evangelism repackaged over with a new name. Be careful you were to hear the term gospel coalition or gospel centeredness. Now, I grew up in the time where gospel centeredness means we preach the gospel. Amen? Just like we do here in this church. We preach the gospel. We go after people. But today, gospel centeredness revolves itself around, around this lifestyle evangelism business, which be basically these people don't want to witness. They don't want to sow in. And the truth of the matter is they're hyper-Calvinistic. And so when you look at that tonight, we look at these people here in the book of Philippians chapter 1. And Paul's addressing something that was breaking his heart. Because there was conflict about the gospel. And can I say this tonight? There's probably different philosophies in this church. I don't think there are, but there's probably different philosophies in this church about what goes on. And you probably whisper to your closest friend, I don't really believe it that way and so forth. I'm going to tell you tonight, we need to just be focusing. Let's get people saved. Amen? Amen. Now, if all you do is bring somebody just to a special event because that's your personality, I'm rejoicing to bring people to a special event. Amen? And if all you do is you, you, do con- you can show up and you can, be, uh, you can be faithful and help us reach our area for the gospel of Jesus Christ, then I'm rejoicing what you're doing. But I'm just going to say tonight, this church fell into the trap that easily divided this church. The preaching of the gospel became a contentious issue. Listen, preaching Jesus Christ should never be a contentious issue in a church. And especially in a church where we have multi-ethnicities, we have different language dynamics, and there's some of the cultural distinctions that come in there, and we let the culture drive what goes on. Now listen, remind you tonight, the gospel of Jesus Christ supersedes all cultures. We must let the gospel do its work and not let culture interfere with what Jesus Christ wants to do. And so notice this tonight. There was strife over this. So Paul gets down here, notice chapter 1, verse 27. He says, only let your conversation be as it become of the gospel of Christ. In other words, conform your life to the gospel and don't try to get the gospel to conform to you. You don't make the gospel what you want it to be. You make yourself conform to what the gospel is. Amen? So only let your conversation be as it become of the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your fears. He says, you know what, what he's telling there? Listen, whether I come or not, be accountable. Show yourself. You know, you know, we have, you know how it is. When somebody important comes, we want to show ourselves a good face and we got the job. And Paul says, whether I come or not, you should show a good face because it's all about Jesus Christ. He says, you need to do your best. He, so he says here that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And you know what Paul was saying there? I recognize you're like this. You're striving going on. I realize you're striving. But he says, strive together for the faith of the gospel. Get in and involved together. Listen, put aside your conflicts and stuff. Realize those are petty things you're arguing about. Christians should not be arguing about what kind of tracks we're using and what color are the tracks. And we should not be arguing about, about uh, the fact that whose door we knocked on or whether we went on the street the same day or five days ago somebody went there. Can I tell you tonight? We should not be arguing about that. What we should be arguing about is, did the devil get them or did Jesus get them? Amen. That should be our argument tonight. Amen? Amen? Here's something else they were fighting over. Um, there was strife between two ladies who had strong personalities. Uh, notice what he says about them in chapter 4. I feel bad for these two ladies because they got named in the letters as being read publicly. Amen, you know? He said, I beseech Euodius and beseech Tentiki that they be of the same mind of the Lord. Now, I'm thankful Paul didn't call out their sin, okay? They knew what their sin was. But he said, be of the same mind. And he says he didn't make a big deal out of what, what their conflict was because he knew that it would just, people would start to take sides and there'd be a church split. He said, we're not going to do that. But they, they, there was strife over two ladies of strong personality. They, they, and then because of that, it brought the worst out of the church and other personality conflicts started developing. Then notice something else. There was the spirit of selfishness. People started looking out for their self-interest. Hey, watch this. Watch this tonight. We are, we are in trouble and we're, we're, we're sliding down a, a bad pathway when selfish interests uh, take, take, a, take a, a precedent and are preeminent over or selfless interests. And what I mean by that, look at chapter 2. And Paul says here this. He says, if there be any, therefore any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. I like that, what he said in verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Look, every man not on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. He said, in other words, let's get our thinking and our, and our way of processing off self, and get it on Jesus Christ. Now look up here for a minute. Let me make a statement. We have to be very careful because we are in the world. That we're in the world, there's policies and practices that the world does that don't necessarily mean that that's what we should do in the Christian life. 
In the world, in, wor in the work setting, there's, there's a lack of tolerance for certain kinds of behavior. There's a lack of tolerance for certain types of things. People lose their cool. People are very blunt. People are very brood. Uh, there's other things that go on. There's harassment, things like that that go on. And things get looped into other different types of names. But in the Christian life, as we look at how the church practices, now I'm not saying we allow those kind of things in our church, but I'm saying this tonight. We must be very careful that we allow those things to affect us and morph our thinking and our attitude. So we come to church, we have a wrong expectation of each other, and that wrong expectation then if that person doesn't perform according to what we think they should do, then all of a sudden we've written that person off and that's wrong. Because he's saying here, look not every man in his own things, but every man on the things of others. Look what he says, verse 3. Let nothing, let nothing in the church, let nothing in the church, nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Make, make sure whatever we do, we're not being divisive. Make sure what we're doing, we're not trying to exalt ourselves. That's vainglory, okay? That doesn't honor God. And Paul's being very gentle in how he writes this in verse 3. He said, in lowliness of mind, let the each esteem others better than themselves. You know what we need to do is we need to lift up Christ. I had a very embarrassing moment many, many years ago. We were, we were checking into a hotel for a conference. And hotels checking, they advertised, they said there was a good hotel. They said it, they, these are non-smoking rooms. And I said, well, and I, and I asked the ladies, we're checking. There's a line of us. There's all Christians checking this place. And, and I asked the ladies, I was checking in for, for my wife. And my wife was just, was just, you know, just kind of finishing up treatments, her first round of, uh, her round of treatments, the same time she had cancer. And so I just was very sensitive to kind of the environment. I said, ma'am, now you're sure there's no, there was no smoking in this room? She said, I'm sure. I went up the room. And you know how it is. You walk in, you knew there was smoke in that room. Yeah, you knew there's smoke in the room. And they use those ionizers to try to, to, to remove it. But you, those ionizers, you're not going to remove it in one day. Maybe in one month you remove it, but you're not going to remove it in one day. So I came back down politely, and I knew the lady was in, was, had a lot of customers there. And I finally got my place there. And I said, ma'am, I have to tell you. I said, can you change rooms for me? I said, I asked for a non-smoking room. There was smoke in there, and it was really, really bad. And so she started getting argumentative with me. And I, and I didn't take that very well. I just said, ma'am, all I asked you to do is if I could change rooms. I said, I, I'll wait, whatever. And she started getting argumentative. And so that kind of got my dandruff up for a little bit there because she started getting in my face about it. And I just meant all I asked you to do is if I could change the room. And I didn't raise my voice or anything, but you could tell from my face, I didn't appreciate she was yelling at me. And a preacher friend of mine walked up and said, Brother Fong, everything okay? He said, uh, I'll, I'll take the room for you there. And I felt like this at that moment. I said, man, that's, that's loneliness of mine. And I appreciate that preacher friend of mine coming up. He says, Pastor, he says, you know, I'll take the room. He said, it won't bother me one bit. I don't mind my clothes smelling my smoke like that. You know, for the rest of the day, I felt like that. And I went up to him later on at the conference. I said, Preacher, thank you very much for what you did. I was just thinking about my wife. And I, I let that lady's, her attitude affect me. And you know what Paul's saying here? Exactly what I should have done right there. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man his own things, but every man the things other. Now here's what's going on at the church at Philippi. You watch what's going on. The joy tank was being depleted. There was strife. There was selfishness. There was contention. And then notice there was a lessening of the sacrifice. They were becoming less sacrificial. Notice how, how Paul plays on that, which you go into chapter 2. He said in verse 17, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. Now, Paul's making a play on words. He's saying, listen, if I could be offered, if I could be the drink offering and pour it out for you guys, I'm glad to do it. And what he was saying to them, there was a time you were a very sacrificial church. And I think he was thinking about even the early days when Lydia said, if you can judge me faithful, you can use my house. And you know, when we lose that sacrificial spirit, church, listen to me tonight. We lose that sacrificial spirit. We become self-centered and that joy goes away. Notice something else about the church. Um, they had too many things going on and forgot what their focus was. You ever have that happen? You got just too many things going on? We talked about that in uh, one of our classes this past week here about getting our schedules in sync. Look what he said in chapter 3. He said in verse 14, uh, at verse 12, he said this, um, Not as though I would already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that I may uh, after that uh, I may uh, if at that I may apprehend that for which also I'm apprehended of Christ. Notice verse 13, brethren, I count on myself to have apprehended. I haven't arrived. By the way, we haven't arrived either. Amen. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth those things which are before, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And all these things Paul's talking about. Notice verse 13. He said, "This one thing I do." He says, "Listen, there's a lot of things we need to be doing, but he said, this one thing I must do." He said, "Jesus Christ is what I must pursue." A lot of times we can have so many things going on, and we lose our focus. We can lose our joy. 
Here's another thing he said here. They became mechanical and routine in serving God and one another. And when this happens, we, we find our place. We find that we're just not where we're at there. And then later on, notice that their thought processes were all messed up. They became critical and did not apply the rule of Philippians 4.8. Look at Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, and whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. You know what he's telling us there? Listen, the reason why we get a critical spirit is we're thinking about the wrong things. That's a good test, amen? You can't, you can't do that in five minutes. I mean, look at it. Is it true? By the way, and you're always going to have in a church, someone's going to want to come up and gossip and tell you something that's not true. They'll tell you half truth, and they'll tell you something just to kind of get your attention. What you need to do is walk away from that stuff. That's negative energy. Just walk away from that. Amen? It's not true. He says, he says is it true? Is it honest? Is it just? Is it pure? Hey, let's not, let's not fall in the trap that the Israelites did. Every time something went wrong, they complained, and they threw it back at Moses. Said, what are you going to do about it, Moses? Hey, you know, a church, a church that is team, the, everybody's a team member and doing it. We're not going to say, what are you going to do about it? We're, we're going to come with the attitude, what are we going to do about it? We're part of the solution, not part of the problem, okay? You say, well, that's not secular. That's Christian. That's Bible. We solve it together there, okay? So notice this problem here. They, they did that. They were not praying, but they were experiencing anxiety and worry. We find that in verse 6. I mean, all these things are going on. So what, what happened to their joy? Their joy was stifled. Then we go over to the church at Thessalonica. What happened here? Go back to chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians real quickly. The church at Thessalonica, Paul was writing them because he's writing to them the joy tank was depleted. They were losing their joy. This happens in every church. Paul writes this continuously in all his epistles. What are some of the things that happen? Well, let me give you some. Number one, some of the church were struggling with suffering and sorrow. Some of them had lost love. And by the way, can I say this tonight? There are some of us in the room, when we lose a loved one, it takes us a longer time to recover. The grieving process is very long, and we need to be very sympathetic with it. Don't say something like this, well, you know, you'll get over it. Don't ever say that to a grieving person. Never say to a grieving person, you'll get over that. Because you're not in their shoes. You're not them. Never tell them, well, it's all fi fine. And never tell them you know how they feel. You don't know how they feel. You need to, what you need to do is just say, brother and sister, you know, I'm so sorry you're going through this. Can I, can I help you? Is there anything I can do for you? Can I pray with you right now? And this church, there were some that were going through great sorrow. And they, and they, needed, to, they needed to comfort one, one another about the coming of the Lord. Notice something else. As we get to chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Now, I didn't say this before, but you know what's happening there? They stopped caring for their spiritual leaders. They stopped caring for the spiritual leaders. They got, they got church-centric, and they forgot how God runs his church. They stopped caring for the spiritual leaders. And so they, they, they were losing their joy tank because they just took things for granted. Notice something else here. They neglected needful oversight over the unruly, the feeble-minded, the weak, and the evil. We talked about that last time. They neglected oversight. That Paul was addressing it to the body of Christ to come alongside the spiritual leaders and addressing those issues. Then notice something else. We get to chapter 5 and verse 18. Uh, he says, in everything give thanks. Why did he say that? Because the church had become less thankful. Paul could tell by the tone in which they went to him with questions. How they approached him. And the word he was getting back from the leaders. He probably asked the question, are the people thankful? Do they rejoice in Jesus Christ? Hey, that's the gauge right now tonight, okay? That's the gauge for our Christian. If you're not thankful, if you're not as thankful as you used to be, there's a problem. Amen. It's a problem. That's God's word. Rejoice evermore. If you're not thankful, you're probably not rejoicing. He said, by the way, thanksgivings will cease the will of God for your life. Don't talk about, God, does God want me in the mission field? Not if you're not thankful. God's calling me to preach. Not if you're thankful. Okay? God's will, God's will is bigger than you and me, but you better make sure your spirit's right. And so he's talking about these. Then he says something else, as I said earlier. He says, as we read the church of, uh, uh, the, the letter, the first Thessalonians, they got like, like the church of Philippi, like our church too. They became mechanical and routine. They just did it for the sake of doing it. Hey, here's the question. Is your joy stifled? Are you struggling with joy? Can you say I'm rejoicing evermore? And so as we close tonight, we see, we see, we see three things we've looked at. We see the standard for rejoicing. We see the steps in rejoicing. We see what stifles our rejoicing. As we close tonight, let me give you this thought here. Let's see the steadfastness in rejoicing. We need to hold fast to our joy. This is what Paul is saying in verse 16. Rejoice evermore. Be steadfast. Rejoice evermore. Evermore means always, at all times, no matter what. Rejoice evermore. Let me say this tonight. The devil will use circumstances 
unforeseen events, unplanned for events, sin, and scoffers to take away our joy. Let me repeat that. The devil will use circumstances, unforeseen situations, or unplanned for situations, sin, and even scoffers to take away our joy. Many years ago, a Russian countess got to, came to know Jesus Christ as her Savior. Someone got the gospel to her. This countess, who was an aristocratic woman and came from a very high-ranking family and was part of the, 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 in the, in the, in the lineage of the czar, she got saved, and she started sharing her testimony. That's a good thing. When you get saved, you should share your testimony, amen? And she started sharing her testimony. The czar was not very happy about that, and she continued to share her testimony. He just abruptly took her one day and threw her into prison. And not just in the prison, he threw her into a prison that was very, very terrible. I mean, it was dirty, it was filthy, there was vermin there, and it was the lowest level place. I mean, it was a place you'd catch diseases and fleas and all kinds of things. And after 24 hours in these very miserable conditions, he brought her back out. Her, her clothing was soiled, there was dirt on her face. You can tell that she, she smelled and reeked of the smell of, the, of, that, of, of that prison that she was in. And uh, just all that you could tell, she was taken advantage of a little bit there. And she came in, and the peace of Christ was all over her face. But the czar wasn't looking at that. And he smiled very sarcastically, and he said this to her. Well, are you ready now to renounce your silly faith and come back to the pleasures of the court? And you know, that's a, that's a very alluring and tempting question. When you've, been, when you've gone from the top to the bottom... And you've gone, from, you've gone from gold to garbage. I mean, that's a pretty alluring question. Amen? Are you ready to come back to the court? And so, you know, all these people that attended, that were her attendants were looking and thinking, I'm certain she's going to say yes. And she said this without, without missing a beat. She said, sir, I have known more real joy and more real happiness in one day in prison with Jesus than I have known in a lifetime in the courts of the czar. Wow. I've known more happiness in one day in prison with Jesus than I've known all the years of my life in the courts of the czar. Listen, tonight, we need to be steadfast in our, in our joy. We have to realize circumstances do not dictate our joy. Our walk in the Spirit dictates our joy. Let me give you some verses. We're almost done. In, John, in 2 Corinthians 6.10, I read this earlier to you. He said, as sorrowful yet rejoicing. In Philippians, Paul said this to these believers as he's winding down his letter. He's encouraging it back to joy. Notice he said in chapter 3, verse 1 of Philippians, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now, he could have stopped there, but he said, rejoice in the Lord. He says, just give, he's, you know, he didn't give them 25 steps and all that. He just said, rejoice in the Lord. And then he said this, to write the same things to you. He says, in other words, I could repeat myself. I could write it again and again. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Now, I, I like that there, because you know what he's saying? I'm talking about some safe practices here. He says, I don't mind writing this to you again and again and again, because it's not grievous to me. I, I don't mind telling you again and again and again, and it's kind of like preaching. I don't mind preaching the same thing again and again and again. It's not grievous to me, but he said, for you it is safe. Hey, you know, there's just some things God tells us over and over again, and God does over and over again for us, because it's safe for us. It's for our safekeeping as a Christian there. And then he said in chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Peter said this in 1 Peter 1.8, Whom having not seen you love, and whom though you see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy and speak with full of glory. Hey, as we're going through life and we have our challenges, just remember, look for him who's invisible. Look for Jesus Christ. Though we don't see him, yet we can rejoice with joy and speak with full of glory. Paul is just basically saying just one, two simple words. Rejoice evermore. Rejoice always. Rejoice your name is in heaven. Amen? Rejoice that you're saved. Rejoice you get to serve the Lord. Rejoice, by the way, husband, rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Amen? Rejoice when you, when you sing. Rejoice when you read and study your Bible. Stay away from divisive and argumentative people. Stay away from a critical spirit and people complain too much. Don't answer your critics. Stay away from that. Don't respond to that junk there, okay? If you're corrected, rejoice that the person loves you enough to tell you instead of letting you get hurt. Amen. Rejoice when you're at church. Rejoice that, you're, that people get saved. Rejoice when you give your tithe and your offering. Hey, rejoice. We just paid down a major amount of debt. Amen. Rejoice that we have buildings to meet in. Hey, rejoice in this, this hot weather week. We've got air conditioning because we went inside that main auditorium when it got very hot. And we were just thankful. We thought about those old days of preaching there. And you stayed with us. But thank God we got air conditioning. Amen? Hey, rejoice tonight that Jesus is coming soon. Rejoice always. Rejoice that God blesses faith and answers prayer. Rejoice that God loves you. Rejoice and be confident and stable in Jesus Christ. Hey, just rejoice evermore. Are you rejoicing? 
The joy of the Lord in your life. Paul said, listen, we've got to have this added. If we're not going to quench the Spirit, we don't want the Spirit's fire to be put out. We don't want to extinguish the, spirit, the Spirit's fire. We've got to rejoice evermore. Hey, that's the standard. That's the steadfastness of our life. We've got to rejoice evermore. Let's get away that Eeyore attitude. Let's get away that dry, that, 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 that the very depressing look in our face and get a skip in our feet and rejoice in the Lord and thank God today that the Spirit of God lives in us and let's rejoice evermore in Jesus Christ. Father, tonight we thank you that you give us a very simple remedy found in two words. And yet as we study the Bible, it's, it's, what, it's the source of our strength. Where Nehemiah said that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And Father, first this evening for some who are going through struggles and difficulties and discouragements and even depression. And the Lord where their, their thought process is very bothered by Satan with anxieties and worries and concerns. And Father, tonight we just rest upon what the Bible says here. That joy comes in the morning. Weeping endures for night, but joy comes in the morning. And that we can rejoice evermore and we can have the joy of Jesus Christ in our life and Jesus gave that promise in John 15 13 these things have I written to you that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be full oh God tonight I pray this we pull up to the we pull up to the joy tanks I pray that you refill our joy cups I pray for our cup of our life to overflow with the joy of the Lord help us experience the joy of people getting saved help us experience the joy of people coming back to church help us experience the joy of answered prayer help us experience the joy of finding your word and as, as Jeremiah said, he says, Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and they were the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Father, help us rejoice that our name is in heaven. Help us rejoice tonight that we, we get to serve you. Father, help us tonight to serve the Lord with gladness. And tonight we pray that we'd worship you with rejoicing. God, if there's ever a revival we need, we need a revival of joy and rejoicing in our hearts. I wonder tonight with heads bowed and eyes closed, how many, how many of us have lost our joy? I wonder how many of us the devil has come alongside in a very subtle way and stolen your joy. He's punctured your, your joy tank, and you've been slow slowly losing your joy. I wonder how many of us tonight realize we've got to get back those steps of joy. It begins with confession of our sin for sanctification. And from there, we must have our times of seclusion. And from there, we must realize that there may be suffering involved. And we've got to realize that, that there's service involved. That there's steps to this matter. And we have to understand tonight that there are things that have happened that have stifled our joy. Let's get our joy back. I know it's tough. I know it's hard. But you can rejoice evermore. You can find the medicine of rejoicing. The Bible says a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. And so tonight, if you're wounded and you're hurt and you're bleeding out and, and, and you're depleted with joy, from joy, let's get back your joy. Get it at your seed. Get it from the Word of God. Get it at the altar. We're going to give the altar call in just a moment. But as we do so, don't delay. Get your joy cup refilled and replenished tonight. You can go out rejoicing evermore in Jesus Christ.